Welcome, this is Anthony Haynes, I'm Creative Director of Frontinus Limited. Welcome to the Greylit Cafe podcast brought to you by Frontinus Limited. Frontinus is a communications consultancy focused on engineering, infrastructure, sustainability and research. I'm delighted to have with me Dr. Carrie Goucher, who is founder of Fewer Faster Boulder. Welcome, Carrie. Hello. And uh, Carrie has kindly agreed to discuss with us the topic of meetings, particularly based on her recent doctoral thesis uh, with the University of Cambridge, which is called Designing Meetings Systematically Towards a Deeper, More Holistic Understanding of How Meetings Work. And you might well be wondering why we're talking about meetings on a podcast devoted to grey literature. And I think really there are two main reasons. Uh, the first, of course, is that uh, a thesis itself is a form of grey literature. And the second is that although meetings, strictly speaking, aren't grey literature, they are comparable. They perform comparable functions to many of those of grey literature. In particular, they um, provide a way of passing on information, they provide a way of consulting people, and they provide or to some extent generate verbal documentation. So without further ado, Kerry, let, let me dive straight in. You chose to spend three years or whatever it was uh, researching meetings. So what was the motivation? What made you decide to do that? Well, meetings have been a slight obsession of mine for about 20 years now. Um, they are, in essence, a three-stranded problem. So the literature, literature tells us and our own personal experience tells us that they take too, up too much time. They don't achieve mm. the results um, we're looking for often. However, they are important, not just for achieving tasks and group work, but they're also crucial for shaping culture, for signposting, mm. what matters. And they, they also provide this kind of rhythmic beat to organisations. Yes. So, so they, they represent this very kind of knotty, unsolved problem. Um, they don't really work, but we need them. <laughs> yes, okay. I, I, can, I can almost hear the sign of the sound of listeners agreeing with you. Okay. Uh, so having made this decision to devote this time to researching meetings, what was your approach? I mean, how did you go about that? Well, the literature to date, um, in general, had used correlational techniques to look at individual elements mm. and their, their contribution to meeting success. And I wasn't convinced by that as a practitioner. And over the first year of my PhD, I grew in confidence um, mm. to say that I wasn't, I wasn't um, uh, convinced by that as an academic either. Mm. So, for example, um, studies looked at things like, were meetings perceived to be better if there was an agenda? Yeah. Uh, or uh, in one, um, uh, one of my particular favourite studies, was the meeting perceived to be better if the chair was wearing jogging kit? So looking at lo lots of <laughs> lots of isolated elements um, and saying, does this thing make a meeting better? Does this thing make a meeting better? And I felt I couldn't really um, find any scenario where that would help. Yes, some generalisations are helpful, but I didn't feel that single elements had the power to change this incredible, what I perceived to be a complex event. You're so right. I, took the yeah. the, I took the opposite methodology. So I used a systems approach um, 
where I looked at a much wider boundary of interest, so way beyond the meeting itself, and I looked at the interactions between system elements rather than just trying to correlate individual system elements. Um, so in, in many ways, it was a much more it was a much harder study. I didn't have any other any, anyone else's approach to follow, really. Um, mm. And I, I was trying to establish some of the underpinning mechanisms at work rather than trying to compare and contrast these individual um, components. But interestingly, I didn't I didn't try and examine what was better. So my my thesis was okay. almost entirely silent about what is what is a better meeting and what is a poorer meeting. I yeah. just was trying to look at what is there. Yes, I was recommending your thesis to someone on Twitter last night, and I said, but it doesn't give you a checklist of what makes a good meeting, and it wasn't ever designed to give a checklist of what makes no. what makes a good meeting. And by a systems approach, in a non-academic speech, I would gloss that as something like looking at lots of factors and how they're all tied in with each other would that be a fair exactly yeah 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 so how how do things interact rather than separating Mm. them all out and saying what is each of their individual contribution yes indeed so thank you so so having um heard what your approach is let me i think the the obvious next question for me to ask is and what did you find out what did you yes what's the answer (laughs) 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 meetings the question what's the answer yes so that's right (laughs) So my my findings supported the idea that meetings are a systems problem. So they behave like systems problems. Um, And by that, I mean the problem itself is sometimes difficult to characterise. We don't all have the same problem with meetings. We don't even Mm. all have Mm. the same problem with each of the meetings we go to. Um, Right. And that the solution is difficult to define as well. And that, as you say, there's no checklist. Um, So one of the big transitions I was trying to draw out of my findings is to take us from a a literature base which had primarily um, talked about rules so what are the 10 rules of a good meeting let's see let's correlate things until we've got we've all agreed what those 10 things are well my my thesis doesn't talk about that at all it talks about the principles behind a good meeting and therefore it Mm. provides context in which you can make a judgment which are quite Mm. quite different so the findings that I generated, there are many, many, many different pictures I could have drawn. I did want to draw a picture and I did draw a picture. Um, mm, other people yeah. would have drawn a different picture. But I, I characterised meetings as having four stages. So starting way, way before the start of the meeting time and finishing way after the, the closing yeah. time of the meeting. And I surfaced eight activities in which um, thinking is needed and judgments are are required. So mm. some of them you'd recognise. So things like there's a um, an activity called facilitation, but others you might not recognise. So something that that you can see strands of it in the literature, but no one's no one had really given it a name. So this idea of social contracting um, right. before a meeting. So the uh, rather than plonking something in somebody's diary and requiring them to come with without their agreement yes yes um, the the process of, of negotiating and agree, agreeing and enrolling people in coming to a meeting and, and right. my findings show how important that is as, a, as an underpinning mechanism mm. i take the point entirely that you're not concerned to just sort of drop a, a list of here, here's what you must do but on the other hand it, it must be the case that your investigations have certain kind of implications yeah for how we should go about doing meetings or thinking about meetings. So I'd be interested to know what what your implications are. And I'd say, please feel free to play fast and loose since it's not a it's not a phd viva so and I'm, sure you have viva, some opi- yeah. I'm sure you have some opinions on the matter so well, what do you think the implications are of, 
of your investigations? Um, so a, a primary one is about how many meetings we have, the fact that so many of us are, so many of the people I interviewed were in meeting gridlock. So mm. actually no time spent outside of meeting to either to prepare for meetings or to do, in inverted commas, their, their real work. Um, so my, and my findings highlight actually how much preparation and design work is needed. Therefore, my conclusion is the implication of that is we need to have fewer or, or make them shorter. Um, so we need to reduce our meeting loads so we have enough time to do fewer or shorter meetings really well. Um, yeah. So some some meetings need to be sped up, but actually some of them need to s- slow down to go deeper. Mm-hmm. And that's the bolder part of fewer, faster, bolder. So rather than hitting mm. fast forward on all our meetings, in many cases, we need to have better facilitation, better structuring so that we get to the heart of what matters and have conversations that unearth real issues, real risks, um, rather than skimming the skimming the surface. Right. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So that that's the first thing. Um, and I guess what my study highlights is that we've downgraded this mastery level task of leading group work, leading these kind of pop up collaborative sessions to just like running, call it running meetings. Mm. And we need to re-elevate it back to that, to the sophistication that's required to handle these complex embedded interactions. So what's really notable to me is in organisations, no one's responsible for meetings. They don't appear in anybody's budget line item. They're not yes. usually they're not part of anybody's training budget. It's yes, not, we just pick them up from yes, usually from from other people who don't run them that well. Really, meetings haven't changed in format very much since the industrial era. So we're using a piece of communication technology, i.e. a meeting, that originated from an era where you know, which was based on command and control, where value was. Um, generated through commoditization and kind of separating things out into silos and we're applying that format to a knowledge-based collaborative participative economy where we need to hear all voices we need to do that efficiently we need psychological safety Mm. the more we work collaboratively so if you work on multiple collaboration projects you need sufficient time together to do that work well well if you're on many projects yes. you're going to be yes. going to a lot of meetings and, and this is this kind of collaborative overload we're in um so we have to do them faster and do them do them better yeah that i, I mean what, what you're saying definitely resonates with me i mean this business about people needing to be prepared to learn how to run meetings i mean i can remember when i first started chairing meetings just thinking well, i'm not very good at this and incidentally, I still don't think I'm very good at it. And then you think, well, actually, why should I be? It's like it, I wasn't Absolutely. born with this talent or other people are born with this talent. I also I really struck by the way that you've got the idea of differentiation running through it. That I was interested when you said people dislike meetings, but for different reasons. And also that um, meetings are not all the same. It's almost like we need a different rhythm or, or like a musical key, like a different key yeah. for, for different types of, of meetings and yes. perhaps we also need a different set of verbs you know instead of run yes. a meeting there should we yep. should have half a dozen verbs you yeah know. Ab- absolutely so I talk a lot about hosting meetings and in fact the word meeting mm. I, I find immediately conjures up a usually a negative 
image it, it kind of yes. it comes with such a yeah. such a kind of baggage of of content that's hard hard to throw off and I haven't found a better word yes yes for a meeting yet and I'm not sure we're ready to let go of it however let's recognize its power in dictating what that experience is going to be like thank you so let me ask you I said at the start that of course the thesis itself constitutes a piece of grey literature and from my point of view as a reader I thought the thesis was exceptionally well written um, I just found it a real pleasure to read. You obviously have a gift for for writing and a, a feel for language, and it had a lovely sort of relaxed feel, and it felt respectful to to, to the reader at the same time. So I, I'm interested in how you went about the business of writing it, how you found a style, how you constructed a voice for writing the thesis. So first I went to all the Anthony Haynes uh, sessions <laughs> that were available. <laughs> this was in uh, Cambridge, is it? University of Cambridge, in Cambridge Depart- yeah, Department yeah, of Engineering. Yeah, yeah. so, so I, found, I found your sessions exceptionally helpful, not just in terms of establishing a style, but also just how how to thread the story together and that that is the major major challenge in a phd is how do you how do you create a story which which in retrospect sounds obvious but of course it isn't as you do it it's it's very difficult to do so yes yeah, so job one yeah. go to all the seminars i could um I'm, mm. I'm, I was I was a practitioner for 18 years before I started my PhD. And when I uh, <laughs> have a confession to make, when I started my first day at um, at Cambridge, they sat me yeah. at my desk, and and they and I thought, right, okay, I know I need to read some academic papers, but I've never really yeah. read one before, yeah, and not not properly, yeah. <laughs> and I don't know where they are. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yes. So that's how that's how green I was. And I guess uh, there was uh, I, there was no point in trying to to pretend to be an academic. So of course I needed to learn the skill of presenting academic content um, to you know gen- generating and pr- preparing academic content. However, it made sense to embrace my practitioner voice. Um, yeah. So to create something that was of the right quality and standard, but which was readable, and and equally I wanted to produce something that was valuable for for people in practice and for me when I left and went back into practice so I guess it was just so heavily influenced by being something that you could read and I wanted to produce something that I felt my mum would read and find yeah interesting and accessible and that that governed everything really and I think I'm just not clever enough to write it to have written it <laughs> any more <laughs> any more complicatedly <laughs> well I I, I... I really love finding someone who's prepared to have a go at doing something different. I mean, it seems to me if if all one does in writing a PhD is try and do it the same way that other people do, well, frankly, the general standard of writing in thesis is not terribly high. So what that means is you end up almost trying to do it not very well, if you see what I mean. So so I like right. that. Thank you, thank you for the unpaid advert, by the way. I think the University of Cambridge is very good at providing, in general, are good at providing excellent support. And I'm somebody who always asks for help. <laughs> That's my my signature is if in doubt, yeah. ask for help. So I yes. said yes, please, to everything. And yours were the workshops and seminars that I went to throughout and found incredibly helpful. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm really, really touched. So thank you. But uh, I feel because we're talking about meetings, I, I almost feel like I ought to say, is there any other business? But I, I won't say that. Um, Carrie Gouchy has been fantastically helpful and I think uh, communicated a really, not, not just communicated piece of research, but like a fresh vision a friend a fresh way of thinking 
about meetings and I think that will be very welcome to our listeners so thank you very much I'm, I'm really um, touched to have your participation thank you thanks Anthony thank you everyone for listening Grey Lit Cafe is edited by Dr Bart Hallmark and produced by Frontinus Limited. Frontinus specialises in grey literature forms such as proposals, publications, papers and reports. The music is from Handel's Water Music, courtesy of the United States Marine Band and Marine Chamber Orchestra. Mm-hmm.